Uh, let's take your Bible. Let's go to Romans chapter 1. I want to talk to you about, there's a phrase here in Romans that is, is something we take for granted. And it's called the gospel of Christ. So Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. And um, I have an announcer there for a reason because the gospel is, is not something that's just in a book. It is like, do you remember years ago, some of you might remember <clears throat> at, at the top of the hour or even during uh, a radio program or uh, on the TV, all of a sudden we interrupt this program for a special news bulletin. Do you remember that? And then you hear that, doo, 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 doo. you hear that Morse code come along in the background. That's the gospel. The gospel is not ho-hum. The gospel is something right now is important to say something that is important to hear so Romans chapter 1 as you get there so I got my announcement there we're in the book of Romans and the, the book of Romans is the greatest book in the New Testament it doesn't mean that other books aren't great it just means that this one book in our Bible is so important to know and to study if you want to be strong in your faith if you want to have victory over sin and temptation of the devil Romans is that centerpiece book that helps now in the book of Romans there's one of the greatest words in the Bible all right I know we think love is a great word and grace is a great word mercy is a great word but the word that really for the Christian that is the greatest word it is the word gospel Look at chapter 1 and verse 1. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, okay, separated unto the gospel of God. You'll find the word gospel throughout the New Testament from Matthew to Revelation. And if you'll hold your place here in Romans, go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. To the right, a few books. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 3. Not 1 Corinthians, but the next book, 2 Corinthians. Chapter 4 and verse 3. Paul puts an adjective in front of the word gospel. It, 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 it helps us to see just how wonderful the gospel is. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 3 says, But if our gospel be hid, if people aren't understanding the gospel, it is hid to them that are lost. So people who don't understand the gospel obviously are lost. Verse 4, In whom the God of this world, who's that? That's Satan, that's the devil. In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not. You ever wonder why you find it hard to want to come to church? Why you're not interested in getting saved? Because there's, there's, a, there's a spirit that is blinding you, deafening you, distracting you. It says, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the what? The glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Paul calls the gospel glorious. So, according to that verse, there are a lot of people who are very ignorant of the gospel. And I found that most Christians are even ignorant of the gospel. Now they were saved by the gospel, but if I asked them what is the gospel, uh, uh, and that's a problem. So, what is it like for someone to discover the gospel? I want to put you in the shoes of somebody. I'll give you an example. If I were researching and studying to find the cure to the majority of cancers, and I've done some research lately uh, on cancers, uh, it just bothers me how much cancer there is. And there's, there are literally hundreds, there's not just one cancer, there are hundreds of very distinct types of cancer, and they don't quite overmix, they just do the same damage. But can you imagine studying and, and, and researching and then discovering a cure that would alleviate and reverse cancer, at least a good number of them. That would be world-changing, wouldn't it? Well, it's a little bit like discovering the gospel. It's a little bit like discovering something that could change the world even deeper. Because the gospel, not religion, but the gospel is world-changing. Now, the truth is, Apostle Paul loved the gospel. He lived to preach it. You saw there in the verse 1, it says, Paul, a servant of Jesus, back in Romans, servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, I'm separated under the gospel of God. You know, when you get married, you separate yourself from all the ex-girlfriends. 
you separate yourself from all the things that you want to do and that you used to be able to do and used to be early at. Uh, you, you separate to that one woman or that one that you say you love. And Paul says, I've separated from everything unto the gospel. It is something I give my life preaching. Do you know, Paul had the ability to heal people. And he did it. But you know, his life was not bent on, I got to go and heal this. I gotta. His life was, I've got to preach the gospel. So that's why he traveled everywhere in the Middle East. Guesses, he traveled well over 10,000 miles by foot and by ship into southern Europe simply because he wanted to find somebody else, somebody new who had never heard the gospel. And at one point, at one point, Paul wanted to get to Rome, meet the Christians there, preach the gospel to them that are at Rome. And so he wrote this letter to the Roman people to explain the gospel and to tell us how to live it. So let's look in verse 16. Let's pick it up here. We've been going verse by verse through here. And we come to verse 16. And again, we're not going to make a lot of traction. here. Not traction. But we're not going to make a lot of distance uh, in, in the book of Romans. Like in Acts, we could do a whole chapter in an hour. But when you come to the book of Romans, you have to chew on it. You have to ponder it and go, do I understand the gospel? Do I understand the heart of Paul, the heart of anybody that gets saved by the grace of God that, that would make them say, I'm giving up my job. I just want to do, I just want to preach the gospel. I want to give the gospel with my life. So let's look at the meaning of the word gospel. Verse 16 says, for I am not ashamed of, here's that word again, the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth to the Jew first and also to the Greek. That's our memory verse this, this month. It seems like we're learning it. I'm really delighted. But did you know, as I said earlier, most people, even Christians, cannot answer a simple question of what is the gospel. A lot of people will point to a big book on a lectern or on a pulpit somewhere, and they'll point to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and say, that's the gospel. Some others will say that the gospel is that God loves the world. Others will say the gospel is the teachings of Jesus. That's the gospel. And still others will say the gospel is when we care about people, especially caring about the poor. That's the gospel to them. But let me tell you what the gospel is, okay? You better, before finding one you like, you better find out what it is, all right? The gospel is an old Scandinavian word. It's a, a, a Norse word, Godspell. And it is, it is, if you take God's spell and over about 400 years, 500 years, it becomes gospel in our modern English. Now, it simply means good news. News from God. Exciting news, as a matter of fact. Uh, from God, about Jesus, for sinners. That's the gospel. When we think of the gospel, it is God's news about Jesus for sinners. That's what it is. Um, go to Romans 6.23. You're in chapter 1. Go to chapter 6 and verse 23. Romans 6.23. Let me show you how powerful the good news is when you compare it with the bad news. Because there's always two sides to a coin and there's always... The backstory before the good news, and it says this, for the wages of sin is what? All right. Now, death is a reality. Most people don't like to think about it. But the wages of our sin, the results of our sin is death. But here's the good news. The gift of God is what? Say it louder. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. So somebody put it this way, and I really like it, and I, have, I, have, I want you to remember it. The gospel is God offers Sinful people, eternal life. Isn't that cool? Can you remember that? God offers sinful people, not righteous people, not good people, not practically perfect people, but sinful people, the gift of eternal life. Now, we got to understand this thing. Go back to verse 16, Romans chapter 1 and verse 16. <clears throat> the gospel is not about us. 
Look at verse 16 again, Romans 1, 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Did you know, um, most people, when they, when they think of the gospel, you know, uh, and, and talking about Christians, they think, they think of their salvation and they think of when they got born again. And that's all great, but they forget that the gospel started with somebody before them, didn't it? Let's take our Bible and let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 15. A little Bible study this morning. You'll do that through the book of Romans because it ties up like laces on a shoe, ties up a lot of things throughout your Bible. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. In verse 1, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel. Circle those words. The gospel, which I preached unto you, which ye've also received, and wherein ye now, what? We stand. This is what we believe. This is what stabilizes us, by which also you are saved. If you keep in memory that which I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain, I mean, if it doesn't mean anything to you, then you're not saved. Verse 3, For I delivered it unto you, First of all, that which I also received, I just passed on what I learned. Number one, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. So there are three parts to the gospel. The first one is Christ died for our sins. All according to the scriptures. It was all predicted, prophesied throughout the pages of the Bible. Christ died for our sins. Verse five, uh, I'm sorry, verse four, and that he was, what's the next part? buried Christ was buried um, uh, and third and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures now that is history as a matter of fact uh, I thought about this last night the gospel is not just a story of a man in history oh that's old history that's, that's something that happened 2000 years ago no 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 the gospel is the story that made history. That's what the gospel is. It is the very pinnacle of all of history. When Christ died for our sins, he took the punishment that we should have gotten to pay our sin debt to God. When Christ was buried, he didn't just suffer. He actually died and they put him in a grave for three days. And then he literally rose to life again the third day, victorious over all of our sin and even over death and hell. You know where Jesus is right now? He's alive and well. He's in heaven waiting for the moment that God says, go get your bride. And uh, that's it. There's no baptism to the, to the gospel. There's no church membership, no stopping sinning no religious ceremonies, none of those things could take away sins. The gospel is just the news about what Jesus did 2,000 years ago to take away your sin today. It is, a, uh, um, uh, it is a story of how, let me stop here for a second, of how my sins and your sins can be forgiven. Go to the gospel of John, chapter one. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, chapter one. Let me make something real clear. <clears throat> the gospel is the most uh, unwanted message you'd ever hear. Because if somebody came along and said, Ah, oh, Mr. Ledbetter, glad to see you, glad to meet you. Um, I've got an opportunity for you to make 23 million euros in the next 10 years. Sounds like good news to me, doesn't it? But instead, yes, sir. Hi, what's your name? I'm Craig. Nice to meet you, Craig. Did you know that when you die, if you do not have Jesus Christ in your heart, you cannot be with God forever? There's only one place for you. It's called hell, and it's because there's sin in you. you Jesus said you must be born again. That doesn't sound like good news, does it? But that is what the gospel is. I'm going to show you something. John 1, 29. Whenever anybody hears the good news, they hear the bad with the good. 1, 29, the next day, John the Baptist seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Wait a minute. That negative word sin 
is in the gospel because it's like a doctor talking to you and saying, there's cancer in you. You may, I've had people actually tell me I was absolutely fine. I had no health problems. I was as fit as a fiddle. I was in the gym. I was, I was walking every day. I was eating right. And then the doctor said, you've got stage four kidney cancer or liver cancer. And in a moment, they've heard the bad news. And for most of us, if you're saved, there was a day where somebody said there's stage four sin in us. And that's when we cried out and we said, is there any hope? And now when somebody gives you the gospel, you go, wow, that's good news. Do you understand what I'm saying? So when somebody that you're talking to and you're worried about their soul, don't forget about talking about the sin. They need to know they're in trouble with God. We'll talk about that in a moment. Uh, Acts 13, go to the right, find Acts chapter 13, verse 38. Acts 13, 38. Here's the Apostle Paul preaching again. Be it known unto you, therefore. Acts 13, 38. Men and brethren, I want you to know this, that through this man, through Jesus, through this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins. You're never going to appreciate forgiveness until you realize how much of trouble you're in. I've always said it. The greatest gift is forgiveness. That's the greatest gift. When you are forgiven from what you've said or what you've done, that is so releasing. It is so empowering. And so when, when, I, when, when, when you give material gifts and stuff and when husband and wife can't get along and they, they give money and they give, give you know, things, when what they need is forgiveness. You'll never know how powerful that gift is that God gave us when he forgave us. Keep going. Verse 38. Let me read it again. Be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, that through this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins. And by him, by Jesus, all that believe are justified. We'd say the word pardoned from all things from which we could not be justified by the law of Moses. One more. Verse John 2. All the way to the end, just before Revelations, a little book, 1 John, chapter 2. 1 John, chapter 2, verse 1. This gospel is a story about how sins can be forgiven. 1 John 2, verse 1, my little children. Here's the apostle John writing to other believers, and he calls them little children, not in a derogatory term, but like a teacher does to his students. My little children, these things write unto you that ye sin not. Oh, good. He's going to show me how to quit sinning things and get victory. And if any man sin, isn't it wonderful? We have an advocate. We have a defense attorney with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he, Jesus, is the propitiation. That's a good Bible word that means the full payment for our sins. And not for ours only but for the sins of the whole world. He's the full payment for everybody. See, the gospel is the, 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 uh, the story about how my sins can be forgiven, your sins, anybody's sins can be forgiven. And if you go back to Romans now, Romans chapter 1 and verse 16. Romans 1, 16 I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes. So who all is able to be saved? Everyone. It's open to all people, whether you're Jew or Greek, whether you're American, Texan, German, I don't care who you are. Evidently, all of us need it, amen? If it's open to everybody, then everybody needs it. And what's amazing is not only open to all people, its only requirement is faith. That's good news. More about that in a moment. Let's look there at verse 16. He says again, he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. Now, I like it. I remember being in Bible college, and 
I'm no Greek scholar or anything, but I remember my Greek teacher, we had to take two years of Greek, my Greek teacher said, this is a fun word. When it says word, when it uses the word power, it's using the word that we would say the dynamite. All right? I think of power like electricity, but when Paul's talking, he's talking about the dynamite, the power of God. How powerful is it? Well, I have found that the gospel is power enough to humble grown men. Humble, to, uh, able to humble grown women. You know, when a, when a grown man who's well-educated hears the simple story of Jesus, and hears the full story. See, a lot of people have little bits and pieces, but when you hear the whole story of the life of Christ, it humbles us to learn he would do all those things for us who are sinful. Not only is it powerful enough to humble people, it's powerful enough to save people. He's able to save those who are most righteous and those who are most sinful because they both need to be saved, amen? You know, the Bible says there is none righteous, no, not one. So somebody who says, oh, I'm a good person, I understand, you still need to be saved. Then you get the person who says, oh, I, I'm, I'm too far gone, I'm, I, God doesn't want me. The Bible says that the Apostle Paul said Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And then he puts himself at the top. He says, of whom I'm chief of sinners. So he, the, the gospel humbles us, saves anybody, and replaces us. This is absolutely amazing. I know you're in Romans. We've gone back and forth. Go to Isaiah. Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 61. I got to show you this because... We forget how priceless the gospel is, Isaiah, because the gospel is powerful enough to replace all the sorrow, all the darkness of our life, all the guilt and the fear even of death. Isaiah chapter 61 and verse 1. <clears throat> Isaiah 61, 1. Jesus actually quotes from this whole passage when he gets to preach in Luke chapter 4. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord hath anointed me to preach. Oh, those two words. Guess what those two words are in, in the New Testament? The gospel, the glad tidings, the good news unto the meek. The meek are humble people who want to hear it. He hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, to the slaves, to those who are bound and the opening of the prison to them that are bound to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And you got to talk about the day of the vengeance of our God. He goes on to comfort all that mourn. Listen to what the gospel can do. To appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to give unto them beauty for the ashes that you find yourself in. The oil of joy replacing the mourning. Mourning not like early mourning, but mourning like deep sorrow the gospel will give you the garment of praise to replace the spirit of heaviness that they might be called the trees of righteousness the planting of the lord that he might be glorified look down at verse 10 isaiah continues says i will greatly rejoice in the lord my soul shall be joyful in my god for he hath clothed me <laughs> with the garments of salvation it's not a physical garment but it's a reality now. He hath covered me with the robe of righteousness as a bride decketh himself with ornaments and as a bride adorneth herself with her jewels. So whenever you go to a wedding and you see a guy all duded up, he's never been in a suit a day in his life, but on his wedding day, I mean, his hair is combed. I mean, he's got a white shirt on. He's suited up, shoes that are two sizes too small, and he's standing up there and he's beaming. He's glad he's prepared for that day and the bride is there and she has spent hours on her hair she has ironed out every crease in her outfit she comes down that aisle in gorgeous beauty why because of that day because of that event what did god do for us he when he gives us the gospel he says i will exchange all those filthy rags of sin for a robe of righteousness i'll make you beautiful Maybe everybody else think you look the same, but they'll see there's something out, coming out from inside that's been made beautiful. And the, the sorrow and the mourning and the ashes are gone. The gospel can do. 
Only the gospel is powerful enough to save people. That's why baptism doesn't work. Because ba- water doesn't do anything for you. That's why nothing I can do saves me. Nothing is powerful enough. Only what Christ did is powerful enough to save. And what's amazing, the gospel just needs to be believed. We read it there. It says, to everyone that believeth. Did you know everyone can believe? Not everyone can be baptized. I know people who are in the hospital that will never come out of the hospital. I know people who are in prison and they ain't coming out. (laughs) Not everyone can be baptized. Not everyone can pray a perfect prayer. Not everyone can join a church or stop a bad habit. But everyone, all can believe that what Jesus did is enough to forgive them and save them from the wrath to come. Everyone can believe. Aren't you glad that's all God asks? The power of the gospel is activated simply by believing it. When, 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 you, stop, when you board an airplane, now my mother won't, because <laughs> she doesn't believe in the airplane. She's going to crash. She has gotten on an airplane, but it's been very tough getting her on. But when you get on an airplane, what are you doing? You're trusting the designers, the engineers, the pilots. And so when you get on that airplane and you just take a deep breath and hold on to the sides and you relax and you let the airplane take you from A to B, amen? That's believing. You know, when you're rolled into a a surgery and you, you, you lay down there and they put that mask in front of you, and what does the anesthetist always say? He says, count backwards from 100, and you get three numbers out. <laughs> 199, and you're gone. And in, in, in that moment, what are you being asked to do? Believe that the doctor knows what he's doing, that all that training is now going to come, and all that money is going to be worth it, and that doctor's going to help you. Amen? That's faith. That's belief. And the same is true with the gospel that Jesus did all the work needed to save your soul. It's power to just believe in his strength. I have no power to save. My faith doesn't even save me. I'm just getting on the plane, amen? Can you imagine somebody getting on the plane? I don't know if you've ever done this, but when the plane starts to bounce, everybody grabs the seats, right, and grabs each other. And we kind of tense up, and it's as if we want to say, I'm going to hold this thing together. And we're not. And when we panic and we go through life and, and boy, the devil just puts guilt trips on us and overwhelms us with fear and with depression and stuff. And we kind of figure, I've got to carry this. No, you don't. Jesus is carrying that. You can breathe. You can trust him. It's called faith. And anybody can use that. I remember bowing my head in worried prayer pastor preached on unsaved church members people who had been to church and sat there under the preaching of the gospel and day and week after week after week i thought he was preaching against preaching against all of my life because it was hitting me like a like a hammer that i was in a church hearing the truth and i had never accepted it i had never believed it and he said those are people who are going to go to hell not because you haven't heard not because you're not good enough not but because you won't believe and when he gave the invitation, I was too embarrassed to come up to him and say, I want to be saved. I want to make sure that I understand. I was too embarrassed. I thought, well, everybody will watch me. And then he says, okay, we're finished. If you're not saved yet, I pray you don't go out in the car and that there's an accident and you die and you go off to hell. And he prayed and everybody was happy and joyful and we had sung a hymn and uh, uh, Everybody was going on, but in my heart was beating 100,000 times a minute. I was like, I, if I die tonight, I'd go to hell. And I ran over to a guy named John Cranford, and I said, we need to talk. And he said, what's wrong? I said, I don't think I'm saved. He said, that's wrong. You need to come over to my house, and let's get you saved. And he just sat there for the next hour, went through the gospel with me, and with a worried heart, I bowed my head, and I said, God, I don't fully understand, but I know this. I'm trusting the Bible's true, and I'm trusting that you died for me. I ask you just to save me. 
in Jesus' name. And at that moment, it's not like lightning. It's not like, like I just had this wooey-gooey Fig Newton feeling all over me. All of a sudden, I knew it was done. It was done. It's like when I asked my wife, will you marry me? And the sweat was coming down my brow. And she paused. <laughs> and she said, yes. <laughs> and I knew, whoo, it's done, amen. Now we can make plans, whoo, amen. And the moment I asked Jesus Christ to save me, not save the world, but me, I knew it was done. And I breathed and I said, I'm saved. You'd have, you'd have to convince me I was a sinner. And after I got saved, you'd have to convince me I was saved. Something happened. Because I believed it's just that. It's just, it just works. Go back to verse 17, Romans 1, 17. Romans 1, 17. <clears throat> gospel is the righteousness of God. Look in 117. For therein is the righteousness of God. In, when it says therein, it's talking about in the gospel. Is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. Do you know what we are? Sinful people. Nod your head. Our own righteousness stinks. Isaiah chapter 64 says this. All our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. I mean, when I think of a filthy rag, I think of a grease-laden rag that I used to change the oil with. That's a filthy rag. And that's what my righteous deeds are in the sight of God. They're always insufficient. They're always messed up. I have, not only am I doing good things, but sometimes I'm doing them with the wrong motive. God sees the heart. My good things are soiled. You know what? Well, I better catch up with this. God does not excuse sin. He's not a modern judge. He's not a modern, modern culture. Uh, God is a righteous judge. He doesn't excuse sin in anyone. So the question is, how can God forgive sinful people and still be a righteous God? I mean, if God is holy, and he is, and he knows me, and he does, how can he forgive all of my sin and him still be righteous? Good question. A substitute was made. Whew. You know what? Jesus is God becoming a man so he could do everything we could not. So he could be perfect. Jesus fulfilled all the righteous expectations of God as given in the Old Testament. And you know, there's not just 10 commandments. There are 613 of them if you want to be exact. 613, that's why when I talk to some people, I say, I keep the Sabbath. Eh, do you do this? And do you do that? And have you ever broken the Sabbath? So on and so forth. You see, when you try to go by the law, we'll all fail. But there was one person who lived according to the law and did it perfectly, it was Jesus. God became a man to live the perfect life that we could never live. Oh, um, Jesus said this, you don't have to go there, Matthew 5, 17, think not that I am come to destroy the law, or the prophets, I am come not to destroy, but to fulfill it. To accomplish everything God said to need to be done. So he became a man to do what I could not do and do it perfectly. And then he took the punishment as an innocent man that I deserve. Romans 6.23, we read it, don't go there because I want you to go to 1 Peter 3. Go to 1 Peter 3 as you're turning there. I'll, I'll remind you of 6.23 says the wages of sin is... But the gift of God is eternal life. No, remember the last words, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. You see, somebody had to die for all of my sin. You say, well, I just told a white lie. Okay, fine. How many have you told in your life? How many times have you hated somebody and wished that nobody was around so you could kill them? <laughs> I mean, we've broken almost every law, if not in act, at least in heart. And so the wages of that sin is going to end up with dead, death. And the truth is that I've been given the gift of God at Christ's expense. He died. That's the substitute. Look at 1 Peter 3.18. Just after Hebrews, 1 Peter 3.18, marvelous scripture. 
for Christ also hath once suffered for sins. That's why when you go to a church and there's, if they're still sacrificing Jesus and still making him suffer, they haven't read their Bible. The Bible says Christ hath once suffered for sins, the just, the just being the perfect one, for the unjust, that's you and me, that he might bring us to God, he being put to death in the flesh, but quickened, resurrected by the Spirit. Isn't that awesome? Man, we get to go away free. He died. The picture is a guy named Barabbas. And, and there were three men who were supposed to die on, on crosses on the day that Jesus died. And the middle one was supposed to belong to a guy named Barabbas. And Barabbas was a murderer. Barabbas started a riot in Jerusalem. He, he started a political insurrection and sedition and treason. Everything you could list. He started killing people. And so there he is standing there, and Pilate says, all right, it's either Jesus or Barabbas, and the people chose who? Barabbas. And Pilate says, ah, oh, oh, but, but Jesus has done nothing wrong. And they says, crucify him. Now look at the tragedy of seeing an innocent man now, and Pilate says, all right, take him, crucify him, and he set Barabbas free. And the picture is of Christ died for the worst. And you and I are like Barabbas. We do not deserve. It was right for Barabbas to die for his own sins. Amen? It was capital punishment. It was right. But in that moment, he was set free. And Jesus went to his cross and suffered there and died there. A substitute was made. Wasn't that amazing? That's the good news. That's the gospel. So the righteousness of God is enjoyed simply, I keep running you over, over, go back to Romans, by faith. By faith, Romans 1.17. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. Mm. Anything more than faith and the gospel's ruined. Go to Galatians chapter 1. You're in Romans. Go to the right. Few, few books. You'll find 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, then Galatians chapter 1. Ladies and gentlemen, there's only one gospel. And if you add to it, take away from it, if you adjust it, if you smooth it over, if you take hell out of it, if you remove sin from it, if you move our, our depravity from it, if you make Jesus just a good teacher, if you change anything of it, you ruin it. Galatians 1.6 says this, I marvel. Paul is writing to the Christians in Galatia, which was modern-day Turkey. He says, I'm amazed that ye are so soon removed from him, from Jesus, that called you unto the grace of Christ Jesus, of Christ, unto another gospel? Which is not another, as if, okay, you went to another gospel, but there is not another. But there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ so if I ever if I ever say well you know I know you believe but now you need to stay saved now you need to stay good now you need to keep the commandments if I add anything to just belief on Christ I have perverted the gospel that's a strong word isn't it verse 8 he goes on and says but though we even though we apostles or an angel from heaven, like Joseph Smith talked to, if we preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you already, let him be. And the word accursed is, is a nice word for damned. Let him be of hell. Verse 9, he repeats himself as we said, therefore, so say now I again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you that ye have not that... Uh, 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 then that ye have received, let him be accursed. There's only one gospel. There's not the Baptist one, and then down the street, there's the Catholic one, and then across town, there's the Hindu one. No, 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 no. There's not another gospel. It wouldn't matter if St. Peter and Paul appeared at the end of your bed and began to tell you a new way to get saved. They're of the devil, amen? 
wouldn't matter if angels Gabriel, Michael, and Raphael appeared at the end of your bed. They are from hell. They're to be absolutely rejected. Watch out, however, for the popular gospels of today where you have uh, uh, fancy preaching. Go to 2 Corinthians. Go, to, go back a few pages, just a few pages, 2 Corinthians chapter 11. I could put up 20 pictures of modern, modern preachers. And if you ever say I look like him, I am slapping you. That's why I grew my beard. No, okay. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3, Paul says, But I fear, this is what my fear is as a pastor, lest by any means, and the devil will use any means he can, as the serpent beguiled, tricked Eve through his subtlety, my fear is that your minds should be corrupted from, you ought to circle these words, the simplicity that is in Christ. Somebody wants to complicate it, walk away from him. For if he that cometh, and they, they had, the, the church in Corinth had fancy preachers coming all the time and, 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 and special speakers all the time. And when they came, he says, if someone comes and they preach another Jesus whom we have not preached, or if he receive another spirit, oh, a spirit just came over me and I started barking like a dog. Ooh, which ye have not received. Or if they present another gospel, which ye have not accepted, my fear is that ye might well bear with him. If somebody comes up and these fancy preachers, modern preachers teaching and acting like showmen, I mean, I've seen them. I've been in churches. I've walked out of them. Or I sat up there in that minister, dark stage. There's fog coming out of the ceiling. The lights are, are swinging back and forth and, and crisscrossing like, like uh, you know, a, a Broadway show. And, and the black stage and the purple um, uh, curtains and all that stuff and it's all choreographed and he, he's got his shirt untucked and he's got holes in his jeans and he's, he's up there and, and he's just looking cool and he's got a thousand people looking at him hanging on every word. You see, is that what the gospel is all about? Is it about performance? I mean, if we met out in a field, most preaching throughout history has been outside under threat of being caught and because it's, it was illegal. And we've got a blessing. We've got a warm facility here. I'm up so that everybody can see. I'm not trying to be higher than anybody else. I'm up here trying to, 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 to be seen and heard and showing you things. But none of this is the gospel. The gospel is the voice that says you must be born again. The gospel is the heart that says you must be born again. There's so many false gospels. Let me give you a few. Somebody comes along and says, you've got to be circumcised. <clears throat> Somebody says, you've got to keep the Sabbath. That is a false gospel. I thought it was just believe. No, no, you've got to keep the Sabbath. Somebody says, oh, well, the gospel eh, talks about sin, but it, it's about prosperity and wealth. No, the gospel is about sin and getting forgiven. Anybody comes along and says, oh, if you were really saved, you wouldn't be sick. Oh, I've heard that enough to make me sick. <laughs> you hear a guy named Joseph Smith and the Mormons, false gospel. They actually had the audacity to say another testament. He had the Old Testament, New Testament, and then another testament. It's another gospel. You get uh, somebody who comes along and says, oh, I believe in the Eucharist. Then you don't believe in Jesus. Uh, I believe in all the sacraments. That is another gospel. Folks, I have books. I have an entire bookshelf on Catholic doctrine. I have read them. I have marked them all up. And I've seen the stairway to heaven. And the stairway to heaven is through all of those sacraments. And if I fall, I start over. I keep working my way, working my way. And at no point do I ever find that I can be sure I've gotten forgiven. And then I'm on my way to heaven. It's a constant do, do, do. It is a false gospel Jesus did it all. Prayers for the dead. People hope that when they die, somebody's going to remember them and pray. Can you imagine if you're sitting in a place called purgatory, which has fire in it, in their doctrine, strange, and they're suffering and they're counting on, 
all their family keep praying for them, guess what? They're going to suffer for a long time, I'm afraid, because ain't nobody praying anymore. That's a false gospel to trust that, oh, I, I know I don't deserve heaven, but, but my family will pray me out of purgatory up to heaven. It won't work. Any gospel that does not include hell and say that without Christ, you are going to a devil's hell. There are people who, who have churches and they say, there is no hell. You know what? They have no gospel and they have no hope. And you have the, most everybody else has that idea where if you just do your best and be, I'm sincere, Brother Ledbetter. I'm just sincere. You're sincerely lost. All of that, let's go back here is mixing something in with Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. And you can't do that without ruining the gospel. I just gave you 10 things. I mean, you never run out of people coming up with new ideas to add to the gospel. Don't add to it. Just preach it. Just, just believe it. Because there's something coming. Go back to Romans, and I'll finish this. Chapter 1, verse 18. One eighteen. We just left there, verse 17, therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. Well, verse 18 says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Warning. Once it comes up, I don't know what's going on here. The wrath of God is coming. And uh, uh, go to Matthew 10, 28. Matthew 10, 28. A lot of people are afraid of the devil. And for good reason, okay. <laughs> He's pretty powerful. But a lot of people are afraid of a murderer in their estate. Imagine if, if uh, the, the guard phoned you up and said, please lock all your doors and your windows. There is a murderer loose in your estate. Would you be afraid? Of course you would. But look at this Bible, Matthew chapter 10, verse 28. Fear not them which can kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul. So don't fear them, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. The Bible says the wrath of God is revealed from heaven and it means it. We all love to hear about the love of God, the grace of God, the Son of God. But boy, when it mentions the wrath of God, we kind of sit up straight and we go, what? See, the truth is, every sinner is in trouble with God. Every sinner is. There are no exceptions. And the truth is, this generation has no clue about how much trouble they are in with God. That's why they're so rude that's why they're arrogant, why they don't care what they do in front of it. It's all on TikTok. They, don't, they have no shame because they have no fear of God, no worry about the wrath of God, which I'll talk about next week. But let me summarize this thing. What does the gospel mean? Hmm. It's the good news that God offers sinful people eternal life. Not good people they don't exist but sinful people through Jesus Christ the gospel is the wonderful story of the life of Jesus about his perfect life and his tragic death and his burial and his miraculous resurrection three days later so that sinful people could be forgiven you know when he offers that somebody else paid for it you know if I <clears throat> if somebody gives me a, a, a gift card for 50 euros it didn't just magically appear somebody went and paid for it didn't they and when God offers you free and full pardon it's at the expense of his son why is it so important to believe because we're in trouble with God as I said and I'll say over and over again because of our sin that's the backstory to the gospel your life is the reason for the gospel no one should have to be convinced that they're sinful. I shouldn't have to spend two hours trying to convince you you break God's laws. It ought to be obvious. We've sinned almost all of our life. We even break our own laws, don't we? The rules that we set for ourselves. I'm not going to have that last piece of pie. 
we even break our own rules. So no matter how religious we try to be, no matter how good we think we are, we break God's laws and we sin. And God sees it. God records it. And you can be upset all you want, but that's God. He knows. And the conclusion is, why is it important? Because our sin has to be paid for. So in a story, you always have the backstory leading up to the story. And in the story, there's always a tragedy, a cliffhanger. And the truth is, judgment is coming. Every time you purchase something, you have to pay for it. Every time you sin, it's going to have to be paid for. Well, guess what? God became the payment for us himself. The judge stepped down from heaven, became a man. Why? So he could die. God, who cannot die, <laughs> made a way for him to die. So that he could take the place of men and women and boys and girls so they could be with God. That's the substitute. And, and that's the climax, by the way. The best part of the whole story. And the invitation is that we need to accept that payment before it's too late. Or else we'll have to pay. You know, if you will ever get to the place where you give up trying to impress God, trying to do your song and dance and try to be good enough to go to heaven, it's called repentance where you quit and you say, I, I'm not going to try this anymore. I'm just going to trust Jesus. When you decide to do that and you believe that Jesus has done everything to save you, at that moment when you believe, it's like getting on that airplane. It's like laying down that head on a surgery table and they put that mask on you. You have surrendered and you say, save me. And Jesus says, done. Done. Now, I'll say, I have to quit. But... Um, isn't that good news? And the truth is, we need to declare it. We need to believe it. That's what gets us saved. And then we need to tell it, tell the story, the wondrous story. Stand with me. Let's um, grab our hymnal, 332. And if you're one of those that just, 332, you yeah, you sit and you listen and you hear. I understand. I did it. I, I kind of kept just squirming. Anytime the message got kind of close to where I was living and talked about my sin or talked about my need, I'd always squirm away and I would just be neutral. And I sat there week after week in church thinking everything was fine, but I had no guarantee I would be back the next week. I had no guarantee that if I got in my car that I would ever survive a car wreck. I had no guarantee that my heart would not stop before I had a chance to hear the gospel again. And folks, let me tell you, the simple truth is you've got right now. I know exactly how it feels. You go into neutral. You go into that passive mode where you just, you just imagine everything's going around you. It's not about you. But the gospel is about you. The gospel is about sinful people and you qualify. And if you want to finally know the forgiveness and the new life that is offered to you, eternal life that begins the moment you believe, all you got to do is just believe today. Realize you're a sinner and ask him, okay, you win. I trust you now. And I tell you what, I won't have to convince you you're saved. You'll be different. You won't be perfect, but you'll want to be. Let's sing 332, My Jesus, I Love Thee.